Welcome back, Bulls Nation, to another episode of Nothing But Bull. I'm your host, Derek. As always, I'm here with my main man, Justin. Justin, what's going on? Nothing much. I uh, just finished eating some chicken that was defrosting in the refrigerator for a long time. Um, I'm pretty sure that you could, like, chicken will stay frozen for a couple of days, right? Because from what I'm hearing, like, the chicken has been down for, like, three or four days. So I'm just making sure that I'm going to be fine. So if you, if you see me have to get up and rush to the bathroom, like right away, it was the chicken. The chicken did me in. Of <laughs> course, Melissa is here. How are you, Melissa? What's up, gang? I mean, I don't really know how to follow that, but... Um... <laughs> I hope you don't have to get up to use the washroom, Justin. I wish Thank you well. Everybody is wearing Bulls uh, uh, attire. I am wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. And uh, the reason being because I probably will not be celebrating any more wins anytime soon with what's going on with my team. So I'm just, I'm just repping it for right now. That's why I'm not wearing any Bulls red, in case anybody was wondering. I think most people will wonder. Uh, <laughs> nothing so, <laughs> if anything happens to Justin, it's either the Cowboys stressed him out or it was the chicken. It's one of the two. <laughs> no, it's not one of the two because they've already stressed me out. Like everything that has happened surrounding the beginning of this year has already pretty much sent me into a tailspin. Um, but the chicken is just an added bonus for me. So that's just going to give me one more reason to possibly vomit. Um, so there you go. <laughs> well, we're hoping that does not get caught on camera. <laughs> I, I so think we, we lose a few viewers. Off that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too personal for. Did I share too much? I, I always think that this is like a safe space for me to say things um, and that I can feel comfortable. But if this is not the safe space anymore for me. You know what, Justin? Do what you do. Do what I, mean, I do. You, If you want to talk about your bodily functions once every week, I mean, that's totally cool. We're, it's a safe space here. I mean, it's either your armpits wet or you got to go use the washroom, <laughs> get food poisoning. Cowboy poisoning. I mean, yeah, just share, share, share away. It is. Does everybody call it a washroom? Because like, I was, I was saying, like talking to my students a couple of days ago, and I referred to it as the restroom, and they were like, "What's a restroom?" And I said, "Well, you know, you have a bathroom, but we don't have an actual bath inside of that little space that we have, so we refer to it as a restroom." But they weren't quite understanding. But now you called it a washroom. And I haven't heard anybody refer to it as a washroom in a long time, which is funny because I have to always constantly tell my students to make sure that you wash your hands. So maybe if I put washroom on there, they'll actually start doing it. You should try it. Let us know next episode. What happens. Next episode, if it's 
if it works out. Yeah, they, if they come back with washed, clean hands. I don't know how you're going to inspect that piece, but let us know how it works out. Well, I had one student today that was calling out a student saying, you didn't flush the toilet and you didn't wash your hands. I don't know why she felt the need to share that for the whole entire class, other than the fact that she probably just wanted the attention. But um, yeah, was not, pre not, not cool, not cool to do at all. Share <laughs> that with a bunch of third graders. So you, are you saying just she asked them a note instead and... No. Well, then, you know, then I you confiscate the note because you're like, why are you passing notes in my class? <laughs> I told her you can discreetly, and I did tell her what discreetly meant, but I told her you can discreetly let me know what is going on, but there's no reason for you to be announcing that, especially in the middle of my math lesson. I just point blank asked her, was there like a math problem? inside of the rest of this statement that you decided to share with the class because other than that like the statement is just kind of pointless like you know if she went back and didn't wash her hands she's as gross as this sounds she's touching her stuff so it's not necessarily relevant to the content that i was discussing at the moment i get very annoyed at that if somebody just bust out with something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But you all might be mad at me because I'm talking about something that has absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> I had a big smile on my face and my, you might not have seen that. Oh, <laughs> the irony there. <laughs> there is irony there. I feel like there's a lot of irony in our show. <laughs> it always comes back full circle. Always. It's like, I mean, it never really starts <laughs> doing anything with the bulls. It's not used until we bring our guests in. But nobody has said anything negative about the way our show has been starting. So I'm hoping that this is not rubbing people the wrong way. No, I, I think they like it. We, we all love the Justin stories. That's like always a highlight for me. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I told my uh, co-workers like years ago that we should start documenting what is going on in the classroom because no one would believe it like they would think that we were just making up these stories and these are real life stories that are happening but that no one really wants to like know that is actually happening inside of a classroom I told them for years and I actually started to write out a show piece, you know, like to like, I, I wanted to take it someplace and actually like try to market this idea to somebody. And, you know, the years went by and it just, it kind of just went to the wayside. And what do you have that came out like a year ago? Abbott Elementary. And Abbott Elementary is like a toned down version of what actually happens inside of an inner city school um, but it's it's actually pretty pretty right on <laughs> a lot of the stories that they use. So it's funny. Art imitates life, right? Right. Yeah. Speaking of um, something imitating life, uh, was it a, about a month ago? And the Chicago reporter asked about Giannis. If he would play in Chicago, and he says, "Yeah, maybe one day," and now we find out that the Bulls have signed Costas and Akumbo 
to the training camp deal that he can compete for a two-way spot. Maybe as a bargaining chip to eventually lure Giannis over here. When you first said that, I thought you said Udonis. And I was like, why would we want Udonis Haslam? <laughs> the Heat shouldn't want Udonis Haslam. And then I figured it out as you kept on with, with the story. Yeah, I mean, hey, do whatever you have to do to land a superstar. Like, there's a bunch of people on the roster who are like, why is that guy even signed to a contract? So if we can offer up a slot, to someone that could lead us to Giannis, I'm all for that. Build the inroads. Do whatever you have to do. Network. That's what you're always talking about, Melissa. Just network with people. Get out there. So I'm all for that. So you guys think that he has a good chance of getting that two-way deal? This is uh, a couple other guys signed to the training camp that are competing for that spot. Who are the other guys? Uh, let me see. So I'm uh, not, I'm not like not coming up in my I know mind. Malcolm yet. Hill is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Malcolm Hill, uh, Carlick Jones, uh-huh. and then Coasters are the only three that were mentioned by Casey Johnson. Carlick Jones had a really good one, really good game in summer league. Yeah, <laughs> one. <laughs> one really good game. Period. <laughs> I mean, I remember most of the time thinking, "Who is this guy? He's yeah, terrible." That was the only time I knew who he, I, I found out who he was was that one game. <laughs> like this he's kind of decent and then that was it yeah i i've never i really have not paid attention to Giannis's brother has anybody seen any game film on him before um i believe he won yeah he won a championship uh with the lakers when lebron and ad won in the bubble (laughs) so he has a bubble ring has a bubble ring he has a bubble Yeah, that's not making me feel good about anything so far. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've personally not watched any film on him yet. I he's got to be better than Malcolm Hill. Yeah, true. He knows how his brother plays. But other than that, yeah, I haven't really watched any film on him either. You got any measurements on him? Like, um, is he like a forward? He's got to be a forward. Would he be playing like the shooting forward or power forward? Uh, I'm trying to bring him up right now. He's 6'10. So. Oh, he's 6'10. So he's, he's definitely like a power forward. Well, we... He's only 24, too. Yeah, he has potential. Would it mean that we'd have to give up on Tony Bradley? <laughs> I mean, it, this doesn't affect Tony Bradley, but I think we've already given Tony Bradley. Yeah, that ship has sailed. No, 
We're not holding out hope still for Tony Bradley. Were we ever holding out hope for Tony Bradley? Were you, Justin? Well, given the the amount of um or I should say the lack of depth that we had at the sender position, you know, I was hoping that he would have at least been better than um, Tristan Thompson, but that did not prove to be the case. So. And Tristan was not good either. <laughs> so that kind of says a lot that. Yeah, that we have no hope for. <laughs> have no hope for Bradley. <laughs> that was an interesting stint with Tristan. He had a lot of bark. Interesting. Who, Tristan? With Tristan, yeah, I, I appreciate that leadership aspect of that that he was trying to take on, but uh, we needed definitely need more action. Would have been nice, but. I didn't really expect it. Yeah, I don't know how to quantify like leadership um, and its effect if you're not really out there and or producing. Right. <laughs> like, um, yeah. I, 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 I thought that's what we would have been getting from Tristan when he came on the team, but it was lacking for lack of a better term. It was just one of those right message, wrong messenger type situations. Exactly. Like there's only so much that you can be doing from the bench or just picking up bad fouls or being out of position, grabbing rebounds or not finishing at the basket or not having an ability to make a basket or turning the ball over or getting bullied inside by other bigger, more capable big men, or, well, I'll just stop there. <laughs> I think uh, he was more concerned with not getting caught by uh, the Kardashians again <laughs> <laughs> with the women he picked up after the game. <laughs> Maybe these women want to come forward with their Tristan Thomas story stories. <laughs> Actually, I have to applaud him on that. He seemed very comfortable in being caught with different women. So, you know, with, with the world pretty much against you and still being able to take on that role, um, that, that does require a certain amount of strength in the wrong direction, but it, it still was pretty impressive. <laughs> Tristan Thompson. Yeah, hopefully, uh, Andre actually works out in the role that Tristan was supposed to. I, think I don't think I'm hopeful. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think we should just be hopeful. I Andre Drummond has a tremendous amount of skill, um, finishing, running the floor, re rebounding. You know, he does that exceptionally well. Um, but yeah, I I am I feel that. I am a lot more hopeful than other people in that matter because I think people were looking at his days in Detroit and just assuming that that is all he really had to offer. But I think on a rising team, he can have a tremendous impact. And I think especially on this Bulls team, you know, when Vooch goes to the floor, 
or goes um goes comes off the floor and you know as we talked in our lap last podcast with dave if vooch if they decide on these back-to-backs that you know they're just going to leave vooch out and maybe just have drummond start a couple of games i think that he can have a, a really big role in this team just his impact along with with crashing boards too i mean as we also talked about surprisingly um he does lead in career rebound rate mm-hmm. that uh people were overlooking especially when he came up with that uh quote that was going viral about him going down as the best rebounder of all time he's like 24.66 of the total rebounds available so and then dennis rodman was at 23.4 percent so either way i mean there's going to be huge impact we obviously had a huge opportunity with rebounds no second chance opportunities and so forth so I am, yeah, I'm more than hopeful for this with uh, with Dre. That'd be good for us. Yeah, yeah. very much. I mean, he was an all-star, so it's not a guy like Tristan Thompson <laughs> who just looked better than what he was because <laughs> he played with LeBron. And the fact that you're in- – like you're famous for so many other things outside of the court. Like we know him for other things, not so much his impact on the court. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, upgrade. Only way to go is up, right? That's right. So how was your weekend? Like, how were your weekends? What did you guys do? Drink. <laughs> you need to get sponsored. <laughs> and to see if you're listening. <laughs> At this point. Yeah, I've been seeing in a lot of your pictures, like you next to some kind of drink. Like there was some kind of, you were at a restaurant and I don't know what was coming out of your drink. It looked like some type of leaf or something that was coming out of your drink. It's probably a lime. <laughs> no, it wasn't a lime. It was like, I think, green leaves. I was pretty sure that's what I saw. And maybe you're talking about my my photo. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about Oh, okay. About I thought you were talking about <laughs> Oh, oh no. no. I had, yeah, I had a mojito that had, like, basil leaves in it. Oh, basil leaves. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was it. Look, it looked like a different color, though. I've never seen a mojito look that color. It was a berry mojito. That's probably why. But you know, the funny thing is that being in Miami as long as I was, I have never had a mojito before. They're pretty good. So are you here? That is surprising. Next up for you, what do you normally drink? Um, usually I would have like a corona or um long island iced tea Mm. but i don't i don't usually go to restaurants to to have that the first time i had a long island i was with some friends um and they made the most amazing long island iced teas and they said that the trick was it was the amount of ice content that you put in it to Mm. kind of absorb like the flavors and the alcohol um, and then I would go to other places. And I'm like, this is not a Long Island. Like, this, what are you doing? But um, yeah, 
had really close friends back in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and we would go over to their place to eat many occasions. And it was always, you want a Long Island iced tea? You want a Long Island iced tea? And I'm like, why are you even asking me that? Like, do you ever have to wonder if I want a Long Island iced tea? <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't typically get that drink when I go to places because I've been spoiled. My drink of choice is old, like our old fashions. That's if I have to drink. And I feel like I've been drinking a lot more this week <laughs> than probably the last like four years of my life combined. But uh, old fashions where it is at. I, I've had a, I just had a, a smoked old fashioned last week. It was really good. Have you guys ever had one? No, um, I was still caught up on the if okay. I have to drink, like, when do you have you to drink? have to drink, but you know, in social settings, of course, you never have to, but it's just one of those things. Peer pressure, you know, peer pressure, be pressuring, and that, that's, that's where that verbiage comes from. Of course, you don't have to, but okay. you're like in a social setting, and everybody else is drinking, it's just, it's just kind of awkward for me to just drink water or something, but we can always pretend have a mocktail. Like a kitty cocktail, I guess. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> our guest is in the waiting room now. So <laughs> go ahead and admit him. And we are being joined by Chicago Bulls bench mob legend, Ronnie hey. Brewer Jr. Ronnie, how's it going? It's good. How are y'all doing? We're, we're doing y'all you, you, can hear me yep. yes okay good deal man i saw sorry i was a little late i got stuck in a little a little bit of traffic um heading home so i apologize for that um no problem just thank you for coming on <laughs> no doubt yeah doing all right though yeah we're great we're just we're happy you're here we're really excited we oh, thank you. Thank you OG me. right here <laughs> thank you thank you i appreciate it thank you for having me well, Ronnie, we, um, I was going to ask you, because the first thing that I looked up on you, because I was just trying to see, like, what have you been up to recently? And I saw that you were at a middle school, and I couldn't help but think that you were going to a place that many times I try to avoid, uh, which is school, which is kind of hard to <laughs> to do in the actual session that I do, because <laughs> um, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. But um uh, what what was going on there? Like, what what brought you to that particular middle school? Uh, um, okay, so like cur my current role, um, I am over. I'm the recruiting coordinator at the University of Arkansas, but I'm I'm over player development and community relations as well. And so, uh, part of my job is to try to get our guys acclimated in the community here in different community service events. So, different people will reach out to me um, and due to like people's schedules, I will try to uh, place guys in different positions. Um, you know, some, obviously some events are better than others where our, our whole team can go um, or, you know, sometimes, you know, on the, on this particular event, um, we can, we only had, we had like flu shots, we had photo shoots, we had study hall, all, all this stuff. And so we only had two guys available. So had two guys um, and then two of our uh, grad assistants go up there and um, speak to um, Elmwood 
middle school, which is in Rogers, Arkansas, about soft skills, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, saying your name um, clearly where they can hear you, looking somebody in the eye, be able to shake hands, being respectful to others, respectful to your classmates, um, and just encourage them um, to try to motivate not only themselves, their uh, classmates, and as well as the teachers, and then vice versa. Well, that's good, like, to be able to, like, um, have such a positive influence on young people like that is tremendous. Uh, let me ask you, uh, with you uh, helping these guys to go back into the community, I'm sure it has a an impact on the people that you all visit with. Mm -hmm. but what impact does it have on your players as they are engaging in these activities? Yeah, and and you know the reason why it, this is really close to me is because you know I I I grew up in Northwest Arkansas. I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I went kindergarten through college here before I got drafted. And, uh, to Utah Jazz and I just remember you know um, how motivated I was and and, and how I, I was able, like how, how high I set my goals just because like you know I wanted to be a Razorback I I thought that that was the mountaintop because you know around here Arkansas basketball is like we don't have any pro teams um, it wasn't until like I got my first TV and I saw like we got we had back then we had w, WGN that showed on the local TV here and you know, um, became a huge Scottie Pippen fan because they do the starting lineup and they take from, you know, from central Arkansas. So I was like, oh, wow, people from Arkansas can make it out of Arkansas. And so um, just allowing our players to see the impact they have on others and how they're a role model and how they influence others, just as far as, you know, it could be something as simple as like how they wear a headband or a wristband or, or the number that they wear um, in that at all times they're a role model. Yeah, to me, I think it's a very humbling thing to our our, our student athletes because they, they see how, you know, how many people look up to them and, and every decision they make, um, you know, might inspire somebody positively or negatively um, on their behalf. And so to me, um, I think they take ownership of being a role model, even at a young age. You know, a lot of the guys, when they came here, they're like, hey, you know, 17 or 18, I can't be a role model. I was like, well, that's not correct because, you know, there's there's youth that's underneath you guys that look up to everything you do. And so it makes a huge impact to our student athletes because, um, you know, for example, we have three McDonald's All-Americans on our roster who are freshmen and then three guys that were also in the top 100. So the guys in the top 100 think that, oh, well, these guys are the role models. The guys are McDonald's All-Americans, not to only know that – you know, from our basketball camps and our community service, stuff like that, that everybody in our team are, 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 are heroes. And so, you know, being able to take, you know, uh, it was Joseph Pinion and Lawson Blake with this, um, to this school, how crazy the students were about those guys. And um, like every single person on our team means a lot to somebody because, you know, somebody might look up to and, and, and want one day be like them. And so uh, it means a lot to our players. Speaking on your background with Arkansas, I mean, you do have a lot of parallels too, just in basketball in general, with like your father and your mother, you know, they play ball. Do you want to speak on that and what it meant to you? And what was it like growing up in the basketball household? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest of five kids. So our, our household is very competitive. Everybody played basketball. You know, my sister was All-American in track at, at Arkansas and she coached at Kansas um, men's and women's track. Um, but, you know, every every time, like, I, I you know, basketball gets brought up, 
You know, everybody's like, oh, man, you're following your dad's footsteps. He's so good. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know that my mom played basketball as well. I mean, obviously, she didn't get drafted um, in the WNBA because it wasn't there. But um, and my mom was a huge influence in my life. You know, she's one of my best friends, biggest supporters. Um, you know, she, she, she'll always try to, or she used to always try to tell me pointers about basketball. It's like, dude, you should, like, you don't, you don't know basketball. And I just say that too. I know it bothers her because everybody assumes all you get everything from your dad because your dad was a good basketball player. He's all American. He went in the NBA. Um, but so, you know, it's all good and fun, but you know, it was, it was, it was really cool growing up because like my parents really allowed us just to be kids. They, it was never like, hey, you need to go to practice or you need to go work out or you need to go. It's like, you know, if you want to go do that, hey, we're going to support you regardless. If you if you just want to you want to be in choir, we're going to support you and go to every concert. If you want to be in band, we're going to go out there. If, you, if my sisters wanted to be cheerleaders, they would have they would have supported them in that endeavor. So, um, you know, one thing that was kind of the common denominator is we, we still supported the University of Arkansas. But like my journey when it was coming to like recruiting was really funny because everybody was like, oh man, your mom and dad are pushing you to Arkansas. And it was the exact opposite. My parents were like, man, we, we want you to do you and be as comfortable as possible. So they allowed me to go through the whole full full process, take all my visits, be very open-minded. They never said, hey, what do you think about Arkansas? Or push you towards it. And it's just, when the time came, that was the best decision for me um, to go there. Uh, but, um, you know, it was just great growing up. It was very competitive. Like, a lot of people don't know my story. Like I was really small, like I say small, like smaller than I am now and smaller than my, my siblings. I, I, I didn't grow till I was like uh, in 10th grade. So I was like five, eight, five, eight and a half uh, when I graduated ninth grade. Um, Cause here back then it was like seventh, eighth and ninth was junior high. And then 10th, 11th, 12th is high school. So that summer, um, you know, I was, you know, maybe teeter-tottering getting about 5'10 at the end of the summer so I was like okay I hit a growth spread I'm almost six foot you know uh in August we started school in August we go to school shopping I buy all these clothes that I'm you know 5'10 I'm like okay went to the mall got all this cool stuff and uh September 1 I went from 5'10 to 6'7 and so within like two or three four weeks I just kept on growing kept on growing kept on growing and literally I was like a baby giraffe I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> I went from being a point guard and the smallest guy really on the court um to the tallest guy on our team and so they're like well you're the tallest guy on the team you have to play center and so it was it was just a weird weird experience but to piggyback off that all my siblings were bigger than me until September of my sophomore year and so I got bigger and then I got a little bit stronger we got a little more coordinated. And then I was like, oh, it's on now. So I wanted to play my dad in one-on-one. I wanted to play my brothers and sisters in one-on-one because my whole life, I've been, they've been beating up on me and put me in the post and never winning games. And I always have to be the last person to eat eat the food because everybody's pushing me out the way. And it was just bad. And so you know, I kind of became, I wouldn't say necessarily the bully, but I was I was the house the, the head of the household because I was bigger than everybody. All that. So before. Sorry. <laughs> I, oh, said, no, I was just going to say before the growth spurt, like, had you beaten your mom or dad in a game of one-on-one -on -one yet? Or was it I could beat, I could beat my mom. Um, I couldn't beat any of my sisters or any of my brothers or my dad. Um, like my sis, my sister's five, five, ten. So and she, and she could grab the rim. Uh, and she's really, really good at Tulsa. Um, 
she played D one basketball. And my other sister was all American in track. And so she was, she's five ten, And so like, we were looking eye to eye our whole, like, even when I hit my growth spurt and I got to five ten, I was, I was just looking eye to eye to them and they were stronger, quicker, faster, more athletic than I was. Um, it wasn't until I got six, seven where I was like, Oh yeah, I, I got to get my payback to, cause I've been taking L's in one <laughs> all, all my life. So then after a while, my dad was like, yeah, you got it. Like you, we, we not going to play one-on-one no more. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll kind of arrive now. So. So you had an, I, I'm the captain now moment. Kind of. Yeah. Um, Cause my mom, uh, she kind of felt it too, because as I, I mean, I was going through pu- puberty. So uh, I was eating a lot, you know, I was like, felt like I had a tapeworm. I was eating everything, wasn't putting on any weight. It's like, mom, I'm hungry. So our, our, our and, and, and my family's like lactose intolerant, but I, I, I'm not. So like we get a gallon a jug of milk and my mom would cook with it, but I, like, that would only last like a, a little bit because, you know, whenever my mom is out looking, I'm making bowls of cereal and I'm, I'm getting cookies and milk and I'm just, I'm eating like peanut butter and jelly with like milk. And she's like, dude, where's the milk at? Knowing nobody else eat, drinks milk or eats cheese or I'm making grilled cheese sandwiches or something. Like I was just going through stuff. And my mom was like, dude, listen, man, you don't got a job. You, you, you eating all the food, like you need to take a step back. And so it's kind of, and that's kind of really what got me into like, uh, I'm, I'm grown, I can get a job. And so like, it's, it's funny around here because, you know, I, I wasn't 16 to get my license. Um, so I'm six, seven on a scooter driving to um, uh, this place here, this Italian place called News Italian Kitchen. And, and I was, I was running out food to people and, you know, I thought I was balling because I had a little, you know, little side gig after school in between practices. So uh, that I was able to help with the groceries a little bit. So going back, like, I always feel like our guests give us these powerful messages when they come on, like where you said, like, you never know who's watching you. So you're a bro model to somebody. And it's with you growing up in a basketball house and your parents playing sports, did you know that you wanted to be a basketball player like immediately just from watching them? Man, if, if you talk to my mom and you ask her like that question, like my mom will break down and cry because like, like my mom would always be like, Oh, you, you know, if you want something in life, you kind of got to know where you're going uh, or where you're from to know where you want to go in life. And you, 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 you gotta, your goals and admirations got to be so outlandish, so big that when you tell somebody they, 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 they think you're crazy. And so I, I had like in a journal, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a star basketball player at Woodland junior high. And that was when I was a kid, I'm going to be a star basketball player at Woodland junior high and I'm going to win the regionals and I'm going to be the MVP and I'm going to go to Fayetteville high school and I'm going to, I'm going to be the star basketball player. And, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go to college. I don't know where I'm going. Um, it might be because, you know, I really like North Carolina at the time. And I, and then I like Kansas because uh, one of my mentors that I looked up to went to Kansas, uh, Nick Bradford. And, and I kept, kept on naming all these places. I, you know, I was like, and, and I might go to Arkansas, but where, wherever I go, I'm going to be good enough where I'm going to go to the NBA and I'm going to buy you a house one day and I'm going to buy you a car and y'all going to be good. And I said this when I was like in elementary and my mom was laughing like, dude, you just got to make, make the, the youth center team. Like you, you got tryouts, make the team like, like, pump your brakes but I, I was just speaking in, in the fruition like like you I had to believe in myself and and then watching my parents like like 
my dad played in the era where it was him, Sidney Moncrief, um, and Marvin Delph, and they, they considered those guys the triplets. Um, and then of the 70s, and like had the triplets of the 90s was you know Todd Day, Lee Mayberry, uh, and Big O Oliver Miller who played in the NBA. But being so young and naive, I didn't, you know, I didn't have VA, like around our house, we didn't watch VHSs of my dad and him playing. He like just to us, he was just dad. And so like being in the community and my dad shaking so many hands. And you know, I remember you hitting the last second shot in, in 1978 and the, the last, you know, uh uh consolation game for third place uh, against Notre Dame. And I'm like, yo, like how are y'all, how do y'all, how do y'all remember this? That's I wasn't even born in 1978. And I we used to think it was crazy because like all these people were coming up and they were like, oh, I remember the triplets. And I was like, I don't remember my uncle Walter or or my uncle Jimmy like hooping like that. I don't remember. They was like, <laughs> I, I just don't remember. Like, you know, my, my uncle Jimmy's a preacher. He never, I mean, he's big. He's like six, nine, six, 10, but he's never played anything physical in his life. He's the most tender hearted, gentle giant that you ever be around and, and he'll pray for you. If he accidentally bumps into you and he's a phenomenal man. So I'm like, bro, I don't remember them getting to it like that. Um, but just seeing how my mom and my dad was moving in the community and how my dad would be like, hey, it's important for us to, you know, give back and, and you know, donate, uh, you know, uh, or having a, uh, a coat drive or having uh, a food drive or, or, you know, giving a free basketball camp or giving scholarships to kids to come to basketball camp and all this stuff he was doing in the community. I'm like, why? How are you doing all this stuff? And then my mom was like, you know, like this is what you do once you make it. And you come back and show the people, hey man, there's a way, there's an out. Like you, 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 the pinnacle is not making it to the Arkansas Razorbacks or or making it to your junior high team or your high school team or you know, uh the sky's the limit is not making it to the to, to college. Um, that there is something bigger than that and 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 once you make it like it's it's your duty to come back and give back to the community so i knew at a young age because my dad was doing it i knew exactly what i wanted to do and you know i created my foundation in 2008 but in 2006 i started the ronnie brew, brew crew basketball camp so that went on up until 2020 when when covid hit so like that's something i did religiously one of the biggest camps um in arkansas and, and I, I think that inspired a lot of other basketball players in the state of Arkansas to give back um, and, you know, support their community. I mean, you, you can look at a ton of guys from the state of Arkansas that are coming back and giving back and being positive role models in their community as well. That's a beautiful thing. Um, now, you said you were, like, considering, like, North Carolina and Kansas. Uh, yeah. What made you decide to stay in Arkansas? Was it like I'm gonna put on for my city type of thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and it was some default stuff that happened too. Um. So, uh, my dad played for the late Eddie Sutton here at Arkansas. So I considered Oklahoma State. Like I was okay. Out of respect, I'm gonna go to, to you know visit Oklahoma State Hall of Fame coach. And at the time, they were really pumping. I mean, uh, you know. John John Lucas ended up going there. The Grams, Tony Allen, um, Ivan McFarlane. Uh, you can you can go uh, Victor Page. You can go on and on and on and on and on. Chain gas and about guys they had and and um, you know the success they had. They they actually got a guy from Arkansas, James Anderson, um, that were, is from Junk City, Arkansas, to go there. So I considered them. I would consider Oklahoma. Kelvin Sampson was a coach there. Respected him a lot while he was at Oklahoma. Respected him. I actually got to 
uh, be on the same roster. He was an assistant coach for Houston Rockets now at Houston, um, considered them. But I really was really high on Kansas. I really, really loved North Carolina, but at the time they weren't, they 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 were underachieving a little bit. And I was like, ah man, like I don't want to go out there and they're not, they're not good. Duke is beating them every year. Um, um, and when I was thinking I was gonna go to Kansas, Roy Williams took the um North Carolina job. So instantly I'm like, oh yeah, it's a it's match made in heaven. I'm I'm for sure going to North Carolina. Um, and they had a guy on their team uh in the same class as me, uh Rayshon Terry. He's from actually out from North Carolina. They only had one scholarship that year. And so, you know, we were trying to figure out they weren't gonna take a scholarship because like that's just not what you do. You don't take a guy's scholarship that's signed previously to the team, um, maybe with the previous coach or you know, somebody who's gonna commit there and they're and they're from the state. And so I was just like, hey man, maybe, maybe this is a sign from God that this might not be the place. And then Nolan Richardson ended up getting replaced and they hired Stan Heath. And Arkansas was horrendous. I'm talking about they were terrible, uh, Stan Heath's first year. And they basically was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna recruit you harder than anybody in the country. And we're going to put our hands on you and try to mold and develop you and be in the best basketball player you can to reach your full maximum potential to try to make it to the NBA. Um, like, and I was like, well, you know, everybody's telling me that. Well, they literally didn't miss anything. I mean, not an AU game. They went, they came to the practices when they could, they came to the high school games that they could. They were, I mean, literally every time I, I, you know, played a game, they were there. And like around town, we had a place here that it was like the cool, it was, it was kind of like the max on say by the bill where all the, like the cool people went to go eat it. And so like my whole crew and, you know, everybody would go to this particular eating place. That's a block from our high school. And ironically, they'd be their Their staff would be there eating and, you know, with the Razorback stuff on, I was like, bro, y'all not slick, but it was just, you know, an interaction where they, you know, it was a bumping interaction. And, you know, uh, it was kind of to the point where I, I, I had to, bet on myself and how to believe in myself. And I felt like, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm gonna put the work in and develop and get to the NBA. And if I feel, if I, if I am that invested in myself and I know my work ethic, um, because obviously I'm not the tallest, I'm not the strongest, the fastest, most athletic. I don't have the prettiest jump shot. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not the best at none of that stuff, but I bet on myself that nobody's got a bigger heart than me and nobody's going to outwork me. Um, and so, I felt like if, if I bet on myself, I could do that anywhere in the country. And what what better place to do is right here at home in front of my friends and family um, at the University of Arkansas. So it, it ultimately became an easy decision. Well, so I'm sure they gave you all the milk you wanted, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, man, uh, they did. And it was and, and literally the, their little pitch was like, I mean, there's not a the restaurant was called Charlie's Chicken. And they're like, man, there's not Charlie's Chicken all over the world. There's only Charlie's Chicken. And they put the location. But it was kind of funny because Oklahoma State heard their pitch and they came back with the graphic like, well, there is a Charlie's Chicken in at Oklahoma State. And so um, I did eat at Charlie's Chicken a lot because it's, it's a really good restaurant, but it's not, it's not here anymore. But I did get a lot of milk just because I like drinking milk. <laughs> Definitely account for your growth spurt. For sure. And <laughs> for whatever family. reason, it, it it really helped my knees out. And so I'm like a person of habit. Like I was like, man, my knees were bothering me really bad. Started drinking a ton of milk. 
I grew a lot and it helped my knees. So I still do it. <laughs> I believe that. I mean, you said you were the only one that wasn't lactose and you're the only one that had the growth spurt. So really, I mean, in all reality, I'm like, I mean, I'm the only, I'm the tallest person in my family. So it worked obviously. So you got drafted to the jazz and then mm -hmm. of course you went to the bulls for a couple of years. You got to play under some really great coaches, um, mm -hmm. Jerry Sloan and Tibbs, which I, I think they're both obviously great coaches and they're yeah. known for like making sure their players are putting in their reps and working hard. Um, how did you like playing under them? Were there any like, were there any great stories about them that you could share? Yeah, man, I, I got a ton of stories um, with Coach Sloan and Tibbs. Now I respect, you know, recipes to Coach Sloan and Tibbs is a phenomenal coach. You know, I, I feel like he got slighted a little bit at Chicago because he probably should have got, you know, back-to-back -back coaching of the coaches of the years because the jobs he did back-to-back -back years and feel like they kind of ran him out of Chicago. Um, but, you know, Tibbs, Tibbs and Coach Sloan, they, they both came from the, the era of like, you know, we're going to, you know, grit and grind and we're going to be tough nosed and, you know, we're going to outwork, outwork our opponent on the offensive end and defensive end and, and, and defense wins championships. And, and um, they didn't really believe in load management. They didn't believe in like resting players and like that's, that, that stuff just went over their heads. And, you know, ultimately like that kind of got them in positions where, where they are now. And obviously Stone's passed away, but well, I kind of stepped away, but um, you know, I, I, I remember coming to Utah as a rookie and you know everybody like whispering like yo like don't say too much to coach Sloan he doesn't really like rookies and I'm like I'm gonna talk to the person like I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to my coach I, I gotta have a good player coach relationship and uh you know they were like oh yeah you gotta be early and you gotta do this and this and this and like okay cool like everything like I don't have a problem with any of that stuff um and our first our first meeting that we had um official team meeting uh to get our our um, handbook and go over like kind of the season outlook you know, the rookies we got there you know 10 15 minutes early and uh you know it's all these people in there but there's no players it's just me paul Millsap, and d brown the three rookies that got drafted that year and we're sitting in the front row you know i'm smiling like you know, i can't wait to i can't wait for him to look over i'm like hey coach how you doing running bro i'm excited to be here you know whatever you need me to do i'm here to do it and dude literally is like talking to a group of people. And we, I mean, it's, we're not like talking. We can hear him. He's like, man, I effing hate rookies. I don't think they deserve to be. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't think they deserve to be in the NBA. I, I think they're prima donnas. I think that they should be in a developmental league because like they haven't really, they don't really know the true meaning of how to work and they're entitled and all this stuff. And I was like, am I, I'm like looking around like that. But I can hear you, like, I, <laughs> and, and, and I'm like everything he's saying. I'm like, I'm, I'm, none, I'm none of the, none of those things that you are saying. Like, I'm like, bro, I, I came from the mud. Like, I'm from Arkansas. Like, I'm a grinded. No, no matter what. Like, so, like, you don't know me. Like, I'm, I'm gonna run through a wall, because, like, like, it's not given. Like, you know, it, it's not expected to come out of Arkansas and make it to the NBA. So when it does happen, like, like I'm gonna stay here. I'm not gonna be like a one hit wonder. So. Like that first first couple months was tough because I'm like, like I led I led the I led the SEC in scoring. Like I know I can get to it. Like I led the, like I was top in the SEC, like top three in the SEC in steals. You know, Rondo was up there with me. I was like, but I'm thinking this stuff is gonna trans 
transition right into the lead. Like, give me my chance. And he's like, and he sits me down one day and he's like, hey man, look, look at the roster. So I'm looking at him, he's like, well, tell me something on there that that's different. And I was like, you know, I wasn't trying to be a, like a smart aleck, but I was like, I mean, I can tell you 50 things. He was like, well, try it. I go, the spelling of everybody's names is different. You know, each individual's first and last name is different. How many years guys have been in the NBA is different. Where they're from is different. What cause they went to is different. Um, what position they play are different. Uh, their ethnicity is different. Uh, I, I mean, I was just going through and he was like, okay, okay, okay. That's, I, I, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Tell me about their playing styles. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, okay, this guy plays really, really well. He's been an all-star. He makes this amount of money. This guy's all-star he makes this amount of money this guy's kind of a mid-level guy he makes this amount of money like and I went, went like he was like okay you're kind of getting close I was like well coach I don't really know what you're wanting me to say I gave you all these reasons of of what's different on this roster he goes okay I'm gonna I'm break it down to you he goes give me D will Darren Williams strengths and weaknesses I told him his strengths his weaknesses Derek Fisher Andre Kirlenko uh, Mimito Kerr, Carlos Boozer, Jaron Collins, um, Rafael Arujo, CJ Miles, um, myself, Paul Millsap, D Brown. Um, just kept on going, on going. Then we ended up getting Ronnie Price, and he was like, uh, We had um, Gordon Gearcheck, and he, he was like, The difference between everybody on this roster and you is you have the ability to be able to guard somebody and score the basketball. We don't have any two-way players. So if you want to get on the floor as a rookie, you got to go out there and be able to stop somebody. And I was like, well, I can stop somebody, but I can also score the basketball. I averaged 19 points a game in, in college. Like, that's what I'm about to do here. He was like, we pay booze this amount of money to score the basketball. We pay Middleker this amount of money to score the basketball. Matt Harpering to score the basketball. Darren Williams to score the basketball and set the table for others to score the basketball. None of the guys that you named off other than Andre Karolinko can really stop people. We need you to be our defensive stopper. And so I was like, okay. So that's kind of how I got my reputation of like being a defensive stopper because I knew I had to stop the opposing team's best players or I wasn't going to be on the floor. And that transition to every stop that I made and coach Sloan, Garner trusted me because he knew I was going to be in the right place in the right time all the time. Um, he knew I worked at it because I watched film. I was a student of the game um, and I was coachable. And when I went to the Bulls, you know, Tibbs is like your, you know, your reputation precedes itself. Like I know I can trust you. I know you're going to know the, the offense. I know you're going to make the right play all the time. I know you're going to be uh, a guy that I don't need to call plays for it because you can move without the basketball and slash the, to, slash the baseline or cut the basketball or to the basket and rebound. Um, but I know you're also a guy that can defend at a high level and get steals um, and give us extra possession. So, you know, Tibbs, I remember, you know, one, one game uh, we won and, you know, he cussed me out the next day because I wasn't on that. We watched film uh, on the TV and I wasn't on the helpline. I was maybe, I mean, I'm talking about, maybe a, a shoe a shoe with a part off of the off the helpline and i'm like uh it's not that big of a deal dude like we uh, 
they didn't score on the play, whatever, but he was like, you know, it's, it's those small attention to details. That's the difference between winning and losing and, and winning a championship and not winning a championship. He's like, I don't want you to have that feeling of I was a step too slow or took a shortcut um, and have to live with yourself and your teammates of not doing everything right all the time. And that went for practice. And that's why Tibbs would always be like, I'd rather you practice um, than playing a game. I'd rather you sit a, out a game in practice because you're 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 iron sharpens iron and you're molding your teammates um and you're practicing at a high level um and usually the game is a lot lower than how you're practicing and that was his mentality and he was he's pretty pretty spot on with that um and i remember him saying you know on me about being on the helpline and um adrian griffin was our was our positional coach um and, uh, you know, who's over kind of me and Luau and uh, and then we got Jimmy Butler uh, and, you know, when we had Rasul Butler, rest in peace, um, you know, we watched film with him and did all our positional stuff. And he was like, man, you're going to get me fired because you're not on the helpline and uh, all this like this. Uh, so. <clears throat> and so. A uh, couple games later, you know, I was like, man, I'm not supposed to be not on the helpline. And I ended up getting a steal. And, you know, as you know, our 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 our, uh, our roster, I was far from uh, a person that deserved to be player of the game. But Tibbs was like, you know, gave me the game ball and be player of the game because uh, I got a steal being on the, the helpline um, and, and helped us win the game. But, uh, you know, we had D. Rose, who, who was MVP candidate. We had Carlos Boozer, who was a double-double machine. Luau Ding was an all-star. Joe King Noah was – MVP candidate uh, and so many other guys on our roster. And to me, that stuck with me throughout through my life and my career, because it's like, you know, you don't ever want to shortcut anything in life. You don't want to ever let your teammates down. And, you know, it's the same thing I'm telling our, our student athletes now is like, Hey, well, you know, why not uh, do everything right? Why not be there um, for your teammates? Why not uh, go the extra mile for your teammates and hold them accountable? Because the feeling of winning and doing it the right way is a lot sweeter than taking a shortcut and losing and having that, that uh, taste of defeat. So, with, you know, you said you had these great teammates and D Rose, the youngest MVP, like uh -huh. all this time in between the Jordan era, it was like dark days for the Bulls because we weren't that good. And then you guys start gelling and it's really looking like, we're going to win a championship. Did you guys have that belief that we're going to win this championship before uh, D Rose went down with the ACL? Yes. Um, I mean, even when we lost in the conference finals, we were like, the only reason why we lost is because, you know, the other guys were mature, a little bit more experienced. They've been in those situations a lot more than we had. And if, you know, if if the front office and the fans could be a little bit patient with this, we were going to get back and we weren't going to let the city down. Like, and to me, like, it meant so much for Derek to to be in Chicago. Like, you could see it on his face. You could see it on his, his preparation. You could see how he was taking care of his body. You could see how he was in the weight room. You're seeing how he was getting up shots and, and how he was taking uh, the approach of being the best guard in the NBA. And you, you got to look kind of look in the mirror in the locker room and be like, man, who am I, who am I not to match his intensity? And so like each and every guy on our team was like, man, I got to do my part. 
Like if I can, if I just do my part, um, then I earn my contract and, you know, I fulfilled, you know, my role here. And so everybody had to be the greatest person they could be in their specific roles. And, uh, you know, it was just unfortunate because, you know, D Rose going down, you know, the front office had to make a decision, like, well, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to break the team up or, you know, and, you know, it was always rumblings of, of that. And so, you know, the first thing was like, they were like, yo, like, we're going to put you in a trade, you and Kyle Corr. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'd rather just pick the team I go to uh, because it was going to be a, a trade with the Atlanta Hawks. And then, you know, I saw, I saw the package that they were doing. And it was like, you know, 50 people in the, in the trade. Uh, I was like, I was like, Atlanta Hawks is going to be like, they're not they're going to have to build a team and start from zero. Um, but, you know, they, their front office did a great job. And, um, you know, I wish, I wish, you know, um, Gar and Pax would have believed in us a little bit more um, to, to keep the band together because, you know, everybody was locked in, you know, from the top guy in D-Rose to the bottom guy, you know, everybody was working at a high level. And we thought as, as bench bomb members, we thought we were the best unit in the NBA. Like we were like, Hey man, we might not have a star player, but as a group, there's not a better group coming off the bench than in, like any team in the, in the, in the, in the, the NBA. So we were locked in, you know, to CJ, to myself, to John Lucas, to, you know, Taj Gibson, to Omir and Scal or Kyle. It, it didn't matter, you know, who it was, you know, we always try to, our name was called go out there and do what we did and uh, do it at a high level. So we really thought that, you know, and, and not only did, did we kind of believe in ourselves, but like, we were kind of like believe like the city was believing in this. Like we would go, be at a restaurant or be in a gas station and people like, you know, shopping. And, you know, uh, and you know, hey man, you know, you, you know, I, I I haven't been this locked in or this excited since Jordan's playing. And you know, to you know, as a basketball player, like it's already like it's already kind of spooky. Like you're 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 practicing back then was practicing at the Berto Center, like where Jordan was playing, and you know, in the same locker room. And you're like, oh man, crap, like. Jordan and Scotty and Dennis and all these great Chicago Bulls guys walk these same locker rooms and halls and it's the same training room. And like, so it's, and to hear fans say like, and like, this is the year, like we believe in you, like y'all are good enough to win a championship and then have to come up a little short. And then the summer that we all had preparing for that next year, like we were so locked in, like there's no doubt in our mind that any obstacle is thrown at us, we're going to overcome it and, and win. And then, you know, for D Rose to go down, it was kind of like crap. This is our engine. Um, and we just couldn't recover. And then obviously they broke the team up. So it's unfortunate, but you know, we all in our mindsets thought that we were gonna win a championship. And the fans really, really did uh us a great uh service because they made us believe that we had the opportunity uh to win an uh, NBA championship. Yeah. I think that's one thing that we we appreciated watching you all play is that you mentioned like coming up short, but it, when I look at in everything in totality, I never thought about the Bulls as coming up short. And the reason why I say that is because it just seemed like every single time you all got on that floor, you guys gave everything. And, you know, the, the effort that you all had, um, I was never looking at a game where I was like, man, they could have done this, they could have done that. You guys just poured 
every single amount of energy that you had into perfecting your role. Um, was that something that, because you, you mentioned that you had like a lot of success coming out of college, uh -huh. but um, what, were you expecting, was there like a, a particular role that you were expecting to have in the NBA or like, did you have to, I know you mentioned with uh, Coach Sloan and like listening to him, but what were your expectations for yourself coming out of college? Well, coming out, I mean, you, you go to your the rookie symposium and they tell you what well, the, the average, you know, NBA career lasts about three years. And so you're like, hold on a second. Let me, let me do the math on that. Like if I, if I play three years, I'm, I'm 24 years old. Like I got a whole life to live. And so my, my, my mindset was just try to get to the second contract, carve your niche out and like, don't be entitled. It's so many horror stories where it's like, you know, I had success in high school and college and I deserve this. And what people don't understand and what I used to get mad and it's, it was kind of funny because once I got to Chicago, um, like Brian Scalabrini was one of the funniest dudes that I've ever played with because you know, people just assume because he's white with red hair. Oh man, this dude's trash. He sucks. Like he, he's washed. Like he ain't good at all. And I'm like, like if y'all know basketball, like dude was killing it. You like, you was like, he's six, eight, six, nine can shoot threes, can, you know, handle the basketball. I think enough to dunk. Like you watch the Celtics, like he was getting to it. Like he wasn't Paul Pierce or KG or Ray Allen, but like, like he was still productive in the NBA on a championship team. So it's like, like people, fans and, and, and players who are not in the NBA just assume because you're not playing a lot or you're trash or you're not good. No, there's, there, there, there are, 11 12 13 14 15th men on rosters that are you know all americans former all americans former mvps of some conference that are really really good at basketball so for me you know i just wanted to carve out a niche and whatever it is make it where I, i'm i'm valuable anywhere so offensively you're gonna have off nights where your shot's not falling are you one-dimensional where you can only shoot and then if you're missing you can't do anything else or can you be a swiss army knife where okay i'm gonna rebound a little bit and score the ball a little bit i can make plays for others um and set the table for others uh i can slash i can cut on the baseline i can defend and you know to me defending it, that takes no talent to defend it's all about your heart and your nuts basically like am i am i going to have enough pride to sit down and guard this guy um, and the same thing with like 50, 50 basketballs or like taking a charge. Like that's, that's not a talent to take a charge. That's you being a man and pulling over, sliding over and getting ran over and getting your team an extra possession. That's winning basketball. That's diving on a, a loose ball when it's out there because it, it is nobody's possession, but that's you wanting it more than the next guy, um, to get your team an extra possession, um, to help you win a game. And, you know, the reason why we bought in is because so much with Tibbs, is he takes no crap, no politics. He's not afraid to jump on the best player or the max contract. I, there's so many, there's so many, so many coaches in the NBA that tiptoe around the locker room in games because of the society and, and, and the reality of, you know, if the franchise player doesn't like you and doesn't fool with you, 
they can get you out like that. And in the front offices, instead of taking a stand and being like, hey, we're siding with the coach, they side with the player because it's a player-driven league. So they'll rather get rid of the coach to get rid of the, uh, the player or or tell the player to, to, to lock in or, or to listen and be coachable. Um, but Tibbs got on to everybody. Didn't matter who it was. Didn't matter how much money you made. He was strictly about right and wrong um, on the basketball court. And so I, to me, I think that's why so many guys on our team respected him because he, he took no BS. And you know, he'd get on boost for not, you know, talking or, or showing on a screen or being lazy, not, you know, cutting the guy off. You know, he'd sub him out and put Taj in. Like, you know, or, or Joe Kim, you're not getting done. I'm going to sub you out to put on Omir in. Like, it, 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 it wasn't like a, oh, well, I'm going to let – Joe Keen continued to do something because he's our franchise center or, or booze to keep on doing something. Cause he's our franchise power forward or Luau to keep on doing something. He's our franchise small forward or D Rose to do, keep on doing something because he's our franchise point guard. Tibbs is like, Hey man, get him out. He's not producing. He's not being productive. I'm going to get him back in, but right now that's not what's helping us. And so that's, that's really why the bench mob really flourished because they're like, Tibbs is, like a, he's like a man of his word. Like he's going to play the people who's productive. If you're not cutting it. I'm going to sub you out. And I'm going to, it's not saying I'm not going to ever play you, but I'm going to put the guys in that are going to get the effort and do the right thing and be coachable all the time. And I respected the crap out of, you know, I didn't mind playing hard and, and, and taking a role that he wanted me to, 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 to for the bigger goal. And that was to win and try to win a championship. Yeah, I That's know. Good. We we're he has Bulls fans are uh, gonna be a little bit biased, but you said you guys felt like you were the best bench unit in the NBA. And to me and I'm sure to Justin and Melissa as well, you guys were. And that's why you were given the name the bench mob. Um like when you heard that that's what they were calling you guys, um, I'm sure Stacy probably came up with it. How did that make you feel to be like, oh, we're the bench mob? All right. Because <laughs> CJ Watson, CJ Watson was the one because he was like, we fit the mob on them then. We, 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 that's what we fit the do then. We fit the mob on them. And it's like, and so it kind of grew from him because he was like, man, hey, hey, we fit the mob on everybody. You know, you know, I'm fit to bring it, Bruce is to bring it, he fit to bring it, he fit to, it's the next man up mentality. And Obviously, um, Stacey King is one of the best there is in the game. Neil Funk is one of the best guys. It, those guys made you feel like you earned the nickname, um, you know. And so every time you heard it, it kind of spread like wildfire. The fans bought into it. You know, Twitter was talking about it all the time. They came up with merchandise for it, T-shirts. And, you know, we kind of felt like, and with Tibbs, Tibbs, Tibbs is very, and his staff was very open. He'd say, hey, at this particular mark, get ready because this is when you're getting subbed. I don't want any surprises at, oh, oh shoot, I'm, I'm subbing in now? Like, it's like, hey, you know, at this particular mark, you're coming in to get bogues. Like, you know, you're subbing in here. Or ties at this particular mark, you're going to get booze. Now, I want you to come in there. I want y'all to be the Bash Brothers. I want y'all to, to block every shot in there. I want you to get every steal. I want you to play two-man game. I want you to play extremely hard. And so that's what our role was. Then C.J. Watson would come in and was like, well, my goal is not to turn the ball over and not to let the other point guard get his rocks off and give D. Rose a break where he can catch his wings so he can come back in and be, you know, Poudini who he is, like, and, 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 and play at a level that's 
you know, different than what we'd seen at, at the particular time. And, you know, that's how everybody's mentality was. And that's the role we took. And, and, you know, back then that's when analytics first really was like out there. And so we were like, Oh, okay. We're, we're, we're the number one team, the number one bench on offensive efficiency and defense efficiency. So then we started taking pride in, okay, we're only going to get really good shots. There's no, there's no BS. We're not throwing up any crap. We're going to execute because a lot of teams don't like to play defense and they'll break down and we'll get the shot we want all the time. Then we're like, hey, Ronnie, you can press up a little bit more. CJ Watson, you can press up a little bit more. Hey, we're going to have to shade over a little bit for Kyle, help him a little bit because there's going to guys be more quicker, more athletic. But we had Taj and O'Meara inside that if you did blow by, by anybody, we we had help. And so uh, it made our confidence go skyrocket when we had guys that we knew we were going to be our brother's keeper. Like we knew, hey, man, if I make a mistake, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, talked crazy to because it's not like I did something intention intentionally is because I'm playing extremely hard and I'm might've made a mistake, but somebody's going to have my back and, and, and make up for my mistake. So it made those days really, really fun to play. The fans made it really fun and it made a great atmosphere in the United Center. Speaking of that, like chemistry is a huge part of any team success. And um, at the time there were everybody, I mean, most of the bench was, they were all new, newer signings. And it was obvious that you guys had so much chemistry in the way you played. Like you were mentioning, if one person didn't get, you know, somebody back on defense, you had the other person. You uh -huh. just knew they were going to take their place. Um, how how do you think that all came together? Was it just like natural? Did you guys just gel? Or was there like a concerted effort to? I, I, I think we gelled because like, you know, you when you're in the NBA, you like the people on your team, like the really, really, really good teams, like the reason why they're so good is because like um, they gel quicker and it becomes more fluid um, and you really truly become family members because you're spending so much time with your teammates. And so when we had guys that were or orchestrating, like going to the movies together, you know, going to dinner, uh, you know, just hanging out, you know, playing cards, you know, anything after, after the time that we spent, um, you know, we, we, we would like, I, I used to laugh all the time when, you know, reporters are like, oh, Derek Rose is quiet, shy, he doesn't talk. And it's like, we get on the plane and we're laughing and joking and roasting each other and talking about people's accents and where they're from and how they dress. And, you know, it's, it's all fun and games. And, you know, it became like, like a, a real like fraternity brotherhood for us because like, you know, there was never any beefs. There was never any like, um, you know, clicks were like, oh, I, I don't fool with him or I'm only hanging out with these people. It's like, you know, if I was going out to eat, you know, I'm messaging the group like, yo, I'm supposed to go, you know, get a pizza here. I'm supposed to go to, you know, get chicken here at Harold's or I'm supposed to go to all these other places like y'all trying to join. And it usually would be like, you know, yeah, we, we, we just a mob out. So, so that's kind of how it was. And it translated to basketball because, you know, I had a, you know, you know, there's a there was a picture that came out um in recipes Kobe, but we played the Lakers and you know Luau was guarding um Kobe and we were up. D, D Rose had just hit a floater uh in LA to put us up and we knew where the ball was going. We knew it was gonna take the last shot. So we put a little bit of length on Kobe with Luau Ding, but we knew like everybody was gonna shade over. I was gonna shade over and help. You know, Taj's gonna shade over help. Joe King, all, all these guys was gonna pull in to make him a contested shot. And in the shot, 
you know, Kobe shooting a fadeaway. He still almost made it, but it's it's five five of us over there contesting the shot. And to say that is, I knew I could press up a little bit because if I got beat, I knew somebody had my back. And so, like it it translated basketball, and I I think that's truly why not only our team was so good, but I think the teams that have success in the NBA that's that's their mentality, and and that's kind of. Um, the culture that they have in that organization. So you're um, now working as the recruiting coordinator, you mentioned, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you are evaluating players, and I don't mean this to like, well, I'm just going to say it. When, you, when you're evaluating players, is there a part of you that is like, can they do like some of the things that not only you could do as a player, but some of those uh, traits that you might see that like might manifest itself into helping them go pro. Like is, I don't want to ask if there's like a little bit of ego that goes into how you evaluate players, but at the same instance, like, are you looking for certain characteristics that you um, had as a player? One of them being, are you coachable? So like, what are you looking for when, in a player when you're recruiting them? So that's funny that you asked that. Uh, I found out super early because before I worked at Arkansas, I, I, I taught at Fayetteville High School, um, oral communication, and I coached basketball there. And I had to understand, like, you know, and I uh, coached um, EYBO basketball um, on the Nike circuit. And so first I had to say, I mean, and not to brag or anything like that, but like you have to be like very elite to to make it to the NBA, like, Again, the, the 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 idea of people like, oh man, like anybody can make it in the NBA. It's like you 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 that's not true. Uh, like it it takes um, you have to be really really good to make it to the NBA. And so, uh, for me, like when I'm evaluating, it's 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 super simple. Like I, I look at char character traits that. You know, any any college would, would look at like, are they coachable? You know, so, uh, you know, a lot of these scouts look at people like it. When you when, if you're having a good game or a bad game, and you get subbed out. Are you shaking the coach's hand? Are you shaking your teammate's hand? Are you going to the end of the bench, pouting and put a towel over your head? Like to me, I'm like, hey, I, I don't that's not our culture here. Like we don't we don't not shake hands. We don't acknowledge the coach. We don't acknowledge my teammates. We stand up and because that's what I did in the NBA. And if I could do that and I was making millions of dollars you can do that and you're just a kid and you, you know, I mean, you're, try, you're trying to get a scholarship offer. So, you know, if guys in the NBA are that happy for their team success, individual success, they're shaking their hands, they're running out during timeouts. If people who are making millions of dollars can do that, like, who are you not to? And so like that part, I think translates, but like, you're not going to see of many guys. Now, when you get to some of the guys that are, you know, five-star guys or, you know, really really good they have some traits that you're like okay that, that that's going to be able to translate to the nba or you know we can use him at x y and z um but for the most part it to me it's really really easy to be able to e eval players i mean i i freaking watched tape my whole entire life to, to know people's strengths and weaknesses and their tendencies and their ticks um in the nba and so you know to be able to locate that on a high school player to me, it's kind of easy. 
um, to see how it's going to translate to me. It's kind of easy, but it's also why I'm, I'm very relatable to a lot of kids because they're, they, they, they want to know what it takes to get to the NBA and what they want to know what it takes to be a successful college basketball player. Um, and I, not, not only myself can tell them that, but our staff at Arkansas with Eric Musselman, who is head coach at multiple places in the NBA, um, and Coach Smart was also a head coach in multiple places in the NBA. So it's just something that separates our, us ourselves a little bit, but um, it's something that we, we can relate to kids about and, you know, helps our recruiting out. Very nice. Uh, so we want uh, wanted to transition into some of, like, the audience questions that they had for you. Okay. Uh, before everybody asks anything, I have to, like, I had an Uber driver, and I told him that, um, you know, what we do here, like our podcast, mm-hmm. and he had two specific questions that he wanted asked. So, yeah. John, I have to, I'm asking this for you. Um, the first question, I think you kind of answered because he was like, uh, who's quicker to curse, curse out a, a player? Would have been, would it have been Sloan or would have been Tibbs? But you mentioned that you're like first day um coach sloan like <laughs> cursed you out so yeah, yeah i guess i guess that kind of answered that question um but the second question he wanted to know was does coach tibbs crack jokes yeah um and to answer for part, both those guys would really be quick to cuss you out regardless of the situation if they're if it's in the moment i don't care what it is and, and believe it or not like i, I don't <laughs> tibbs and coach sloan doesn't mind like smack talking to the opponent. Like if you're talking to Mac, like and they and you say something to them, Coach Sloan and Tibbs will I mean they would talk back to you. I mean, I remember Jerry Sloan, uh Jerry Stackhouse coming back to try to fight Coach Sloan. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, dude, super old. Like you're 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 gonna get like blackballed from the NBA if you hit this old man. Um, which I was like, please don't also don't hit me because Jerry Stackhouse can fight, but uh it's like man please like my coach didn't really mean it but tibbs tibbs is talk crap back to people so i think that those are equally to cuss us out and equally quick to cuss the opposing team out if they're talking crap um here's in your second question what was the second question again about which part uh does tibbs tell jokes oh yeah tibbs tells jokes yeah he <laughs> so the thing with <laughs> the thing with tibbs when, we, when I was playing for him, he was so adamant about letting us know how cool he was. We're like, dude, you're, you're not that, you're not that cool. And he'd be like, and it always be, it always be like when we were about to go play the Knicks or the Nets. And he's, he'd be like, yeah, me, me and my crew is to go eat at this place. And we might step out for a second. And we're like, your crew, like, who's your crew? He's like, I mean, I'm gonna hang out with probably Pat, Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and Charles Smith and you know I'm like bro you don't hang out with them dudes man them dudes, <laughs> them dudes don't hang out with you and you know, believe it or not like there's a lot of dudes on the Knicks that really really walk, rock with Tibbs a lot of dudes on the Celtics that really really rock with Tibbs during his time there a lot of dudes on the Rockets back then with Yao Ming and really really rock rock with Tim so it, it was a humbling experience when like we're in New York and we go down to the lobby and I'll be, if you know, David Falk and all those dudes are in the lobby waiting on Tibbs. I'm like, dude, this is crazy. So it'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. 
where y'all going to eat at? Like, we supposed to take over the town. Like, like, like y'all don't got nothing on us. Like, he always want to tell people, uh, uh, how cool he was and 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 how and how he used to hoop in college. I'm like, bro, I know you wasn't hooping in college. I know you weren't doing, but like every like, and it's crazy because like, he'd be so like, he'd be so hard on us in practice and expecting like greatness, and then. As soon like as soon as practice is over, with, he turned it off. If he went upstairs and was watching film, it was intense. But like, if he was not doing anything basketball, he'd turn it off so fast, joke around. I'm like, bro, what? <laughs> so tip. So, uh. I, I I liked his jokes. I thought it was pretty funny because it was it was a cool transition and dynamic from how strict he was to 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 how, like you know what you saw on the TV and at, at games to who he really is as a person off the court. That's a great insight. I always thought that Tibbs would be a person who carried a whistle with him to, to dinner, but um, it's nice to know that he is relatable like that. <laughs> Derek and Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> Um, getting to the questions for some of pull up uh, one from Instagram is V. She wanted to know what was your favorite memory of your time on the Bulls. Um, my favorite moment, to, to be honest, was when Derrick Rose won the MVP. Just because, like, like if you saw how hard. Like he worked and how bad he wanted it. I don't think it necessarily he wanted it for himself. I don't think he was like, "Oh, I'm doing this for the money," or "I'm doing I'm doing this to win the MVP." He, he was just like, you know, I'm doing it for the city. I'm doing it for the people. Like, why can't I not be the best basketball player? Like, like everybody they're telling about everybody else. Like, how can't like why can't I not be from Chicago and be the best basketball player? Like, what is that like? what is stopping me? Like, there's nothing stopping me from doing it. And literally he outworked everybody. Like, I, like, I feel like I'm a really hard worker. Like I, I come in early, I do my work, get in the weight room, condition, I get up my shots, I watch film and he's always a step up, practicing at a higher level, doing more. I'm like, okay, that's, that's, you know, it's probably why he's getting the numbers he's getting, but you know, to see him win MVP and what it meant to him, like he he loved that moment and thought it was like a great moment. But like talking to him and hearing him say, like, you know, this is cool. I wouldn't have got this without you guys, which I was like, yeah, yeah right. Like <laughs> you were doing all those moves by yourself. Like you were you were breaking these dudes down and finishing and catching lobs and all this stuff like that. But he was like, bro, that's this is nothing. Like I, I'm appreciative of it because the hard work and dedication paid off. But I want to win for the city. And for me, I'm like, and, and my mindset was like, man, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, and I'm just using my life, like being at the University of Arkansas and then winning the national championship, what it would mean to like to do it here in Arkansas. Like it 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 like I, I was here when we won the national championship in '94, and then we were run over '95. Like the greatest moment of my life like that that was phenomenal i couldn't imagine doing it at the highest level in the nba like being in my hometown 
having an opportunity to try to win a championship um, and, and how much and how passionate he was to try to get one. And so to me, my best moment was when he won it, uh, won the MVP, uh, because it, it, it meant like you had to have some really good team success to even be in the running. Because as you know, sometimes those, those, those awards, it's a slippery slope because you know, sometimes it's not the, actually the, you know, the most valuable player might be the most valuable player on the best team. And, you know, we were number one in the, in the East. So that was a huge moment for our team and for him because we all knew what it meant for him to win it. Right. I love D Rose. Okay. Uh, Dale asked, what would you tell the Bulls current roster to improve the team? Um, I would just tell them, you know, they've got a lot of young talent. Um, one, they've got to stay healthy, take care of their bodies because injuries, you know, slowed them down a little bit last year. But, you know, play to their strengths, shy away from their weaknesses, and you have to move like an army on defense. You know, you can score 142 points, but if you give up 143 points, it doesn't mean anything. And so to me, you know, being on a, a tied to a string, moving it as one unit on the defensive end, because, you know, a lot of people think that the, the same defense wins championships, that's, you know, old and overrated. But if you, if you, if you look at the Golden State Warriors, who to me is one of the top teams in the NBA right now, their offensive efficiency is always really, really high because they play the right way they pass and share the basketball or high assist to low turnover. They shoot a high percentage from the three-point line. But if you look at their defense efficiency, they're always in the top 10. And so it translates like, yes, they are really good offensively, but they're even better defensively. So my only word of advice for them is, you know, stay locked in, you know, talk on defense, be early, loud, continuous, and, you know, play for each other, play for the city. And if you do that, man, you won't regret how this year turns out. Yeah, speaking of like staying healthy and uh, with Lonzo Ball news and, you know, he's, he's always been having issues with his knees. Mm-hmm. You're saying milk helped your knees. Maybe we just need to tell Lonzo to yeah, man, drink a like, ton of milk. Tell him, tell him you got to start drinking milk, <laughs> some calcium supplements, you know, maybe get some PRP treatment on his knee. And no, nah, I'm, I'm pretty sure the trainers, are not, they know exactly uh, what they're doing you know, sometimes you can't control injuries. That's just part of the game. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I love the Bulls roster. Um, and I love their organization. They've always had throughout the years guys from from Arkansas on their roster. Um, if it's, you know, a Pete Myers, a Scottie Pippen, uh, to, you know, myself, Bobby Porter, Daniel Gafford, uh, different, you know, always, always giving guys from Arkansas opportunity. So, um you know, I, I think the team this year has got a really good chance. And, um, you know, if they play hard, the city will fall in love with them. Yeah, okay. uh, Elite Bulls Nation asked, how good defensively would you and Alex Caruso be if you guys played in today's era with the Bulls? I mean, pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, if you watched us, during the bench mob days, you know, we were pretty locked in on the defensive end. You know, our offensive defensive efficiency was, you know, number one, if not top three um, while we were there. And Caruso plays with a chip on his shoulder. He plays uh, 
plays really, really hard. And um like um I would I would have I would have loved to play with him just because he's 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 uh fearless and he plays with reckless abandon. He's athletic, he he's a great teammate for his for his teammates. Um and you know, guys can trust him and can rely on him. And so th- those are the type of guys I enjoy playing with. And, you know, I think we could be very, very good defensively if we played together, no matter what area, era it was. Chicago Bulls historian asks, where does Bulls Nation rank compared to other fan bases you played for? And do you know that you and your dad are the only father-son duo in Bulls history? Uh, the only reason I know that last part is because when I signed, we did like a photo shoot and we did like a uh, story about it. Um, they basically was telling us all the father, father, son duos in NBA history. And so they were naming, you know, the Curry's and Clay Thompson and John Lucas and D- Dunleavy's. And I mean, the, the math, West Matthew, like they were just going on and on and on. And then they were like, you're the first. And so that's the reason I know this, but to me, you know, Bulls nation ranks, at the top by far. Um, I played in some really, really good fan bases. I played in Utah. Uh, I played at OKC for a little bit. I played um, with the Memphis Grizzlies for a little bit. I played for the Houston Rockets. I played for um, the New York Knicks. None of those compare to how Bulls Nation was. Um, now, I always tell the stories like, you know, I played with the Knicks, with, you know, we, we were – the oldest team in NBA history, but we were really, really good. Jason Kidd, Raymond Feldemar, Stardemar, Sheeta Wallace, Kirk Thomas, uh, Melo, Pablo Prigioni was the oldest rookie in NBA history. Uh, uh, we, we had uh, Chris Copeland, James Fight White. We had Steve Novak, all these guys. Um, and we were, I mean, it's kind of similar stories. Like they hadn't been good in so long. And then we played, we were like, you know, first in the East. And we'd lose a game and Mello would have 40 and they'd boo Mello and boo us and we'd be the worst team in history. I'm like, man, dang, all y'all, we, 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 y'all haven't been good. We, we, we're, we're making y'all good. Like, what, what's going on here? Um, and so, but I was just laughing because, like, you know, it's kind of Bulls Nation. Bulls Nation is like, man, we're going to support the crap out of you. But if you're not coming with it, we're going to let y'all know. And that, and that was all sports in Chicago. And I used to, I used to tell, I used to tease, like, yo, and it's crazy because I like we living in Chicago, like you meet a lot of the Chicago Bears people and people would like, like, oh man, boo the Bears. And I'm like, why are y'all booing them? Like they out there trying their hardest. Like, but uh, that's just like the city, like the city of Chicago is such a sports city. You know, if it's the Sox or the Cubs or, you know, the Blackhawks or, or the Sky or the Bulls or, you know, the Bears, whatever, whatever it is, people are going to go out there and support. And um, I really appreciated that because, you know, once you play in the NBA you and you travel, you realize that when you go to certain cities, like the NBA game might not be the most prioritized thing that night. I mean, there was times that we were playing in Miami that, you know, the LeBron James era or, and D-Wade and Chris Buck, that it wasn't a sellout. And I'm like, well, you got three all-stars on one team and – and Hall of Fame guys and like Ray Allen and you know great guys like Udonis Haslam and Mike Miller, and you don't want to sell you don't want to sell that out like that, that's crazy. But then you go to Chicago and no matter who comes into town, it it, it could be the Milwaukee Bucks. You know at the time I know the Milwaukee Bucks is good now. I know they're they're good now. We used to smack Milwaukee Bucks all the time. 
like all the time. All our fans used to go up. They used to be like, hey, it's the United Center North when we played in Milwaukee. But like, we had sellouts every game. They were cheering for us or they were encouraging us. And they were letting you know around the city. And, and to me, you know, you couldn't ask anything more for the Bulls Nation and the support that we had. So I really appreciate it. Those de Nation definitely <laughs> appreciated you guys and how you guys were playing for us. Um, Chicago Bulls historian, again, <laughs> asked a question. He wants to know, can you confirm your unconventional shooting form came from a broken arm when you were younger? Yeah, um, I can confirm it. it. It's, I mean, it's funny now because, you know, I'm now 37 and coaching uh, and retired for a long time. And I mean, I feel that story's played out, but I did have an injury. Uh, I broke my arm uh, in 1995 at Arkansas Razorback. Um, back to school uh, event uh, at Beaver Lake. They used to throw an annual back to school with all the alumni basketball players. So my dad took me, because obviously he's alumni of the school, uh, and they had put soap on a slide, like on their swimming trunks to go down the slide faster, on the water slide, and it would shoot you halfway across the lake. And I was like, dude, I, I can swim good, but I'm not trying to get shot across the entire lake in the middle of the lake and have to swim back. Um, when I'm like 10 or 11 years old. So I was like, I just want to go down the slide regular. It's going to shoot me right where everybody's swimming at. And I can swim back because it's not in the middle. Well, a bunch of boys are doing it. And when I went down, I got pushed. And so, and like I said, back then, I wasn't tall. I didn't weigh a lot. So I was like bouncing off the slide. I was hitting the little bit of humps. And so I tried to slow myself down by putting my arms on the slide. And I ended up uh, getting a compound fracture where my bone came out my arm. Mm. Um, and just kind of the way it healed, um, it made my arm kind of like double jointed and kind of so like my arm like started out there, like here, but when I shoot it, it's like a conventional, it finishes the right way, but it starts out like this. Usually they want you to tuck your elbows to shoot it and keep your elbow like locked, but mine started out here to shoot it. But I was always told it's not how it like starts or not, it's not how it looks, it's kind of the end result. And so I just worked that in to try to make it consistent and Obviously, it didn't look too bad because it got me to the NBA. So, and take one more question. Dan Solik asks, "How many Big Macs did you win for Bulls Nation?" Well, hey, I'm just gonna be honest with y'all. We we all took this super serious, and I know they're like, "Oh man, that's that's kind of corny. Y'all make millions of dollars." But when we when we used to land from our like like road trips. We all lived out in like Northbrook, Deerfield area. There wasn't any restaurants open late, and but McDonald's. And so, I don't know if you've ever been to McDonald's out there uh, in Deerfield, um, but and I and I don't know if other McDonald's do this, but out there, they were like very common and known for you pulling up and being like, "Oh, we're only taking cash, like cash only, like we're only taking cash," and it's like. Okay, well, I don't have cash. I don't carry cash on me. I only carry like cards. Well, we don't. We're not. We're not taking cards, so we wouldn't be able to get any food. Like, and, and it, it wouldn't just me. It was like all my. A lot of my team was like, "Yo, make sure you carry cash, or you can't get food on the way to your crib." Because we we get back sometimes two or three, four in the morning. So all the times we'd win, like if you had tickets, 
you got free Big Macs on the back of your ticket if you scored 100 points. So we were like, yo, we could bang out and get these 100 points, we could get these Big Macs. And it was like, it was, and it's not only just for us, we're doing it for the people. Like, we're doing it for the people. So, you know, if you look back at the game, we were really try- – like, we told Tibbs, too, like, hey, Tibbs, don't be trying to slow the ball down. We're trying to run, like, our 15 fist out, um, side pick and roll. Because, you know, we feel, we, we feel to push it and we're going to – or are we going to get stops this thing and lead the transition? Because we're trying to get 100 points to get all these free Big Macs for the fans and ourselves when we get off the road. So we got a lot of Big Macs. I'm not going to lie to y'all. <laughs> got a lot. <laughs> That's another reason why the Blues Nation appreciates you guys. It's always getting Big Macs. Yeah. Always getting fed. <laughs> all right, Ronnie, we want to thank you again for coming on and – uh, best of luck to you with uh, the Razorback program. Man, I appreciate. I, I really appreciate y'all um, having me on tonight. Um, you know, the only thing I could have to say, man, I think that we have a. I think the University of Arkansas has a really special team. We got a lot of young talent. Uh, so if y'all could just do one thing, man, try to try to follow us this year because I think we're gonna do big things this year. Definitely. Yeah, definitely will. <laughs> you want to tell the people where we can follow you and follow the team? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me. I'm 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 on. Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Um, just Ronnie Brewer Jr., Ronnie Brewer Jr. 11, and just Arkansas men's basketball. You can follow our team on that uh, on Instagram or Twitter. We're super. I'm, I'm we're we're probably the most active Instagram and Twitter people in the country. Coach Musman takes pride in that because he feels like you know not only building his personal brand but building our our team brand and the university brand not only helps us while you're here at the University of Arkansas, but it helps you way down the line when your, your time is done at Arkansas, if it's in the NBA, overseas, or in corporate America, um, you know, building your 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 personal brand, um, your player profile. And so we're big on that. So, you know, we, we have some pretty cool content if, if you ever want to check us out. I do notice that, by the way, that <laughs> there, there are always quotes coming out too on the, on the chalkboard. <clears throat> I race board, so that's really nice. Absolutely, I appreciate that. So I appreciate y'all, man. Anytime y'all, anytime, let me know. I'll jump back on with you guys. I appreciate y'all time, and man, y'all enjoy the rest of y'all's night. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. So you much for the your same. Time. All right, man. Y'all have a good one. Good night. Appreciate it. Thank have you. a good one, Ronnie. Thank you for coming on. All right, bye. Bulls bench mob legend Ronnie Brewer. Man, I kind of wanted to ask him for like more BTS stories. <laughs> but now that he offered to come back on. Yeah, we can always get him back on the desk. I wanted to ask him too what he thought about um Coach Sloan, if that was like uh if that was like more of a pushing the rookies buttons and seeing what they're made of type thing, or did he really feel that way? Like did you did he really hate rookies? <laughs> I wanted to ask him that too. But we'll have part two. Definitely have a part two. Um Yes, we'll wrap this show up here because tomorrow night we will be <laughs> a special guest on uh, Dan Solak, who asked the Big Mac question. We'll be on his podcast, which is called Domestic Draft. So be on the lookout for that tomorrow, Bulls Nation. We're going to talk some Bulls with him. And until next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Tennis game over. The horn blows. Oh.